welcome to episode 13 of the Coriolis Effect, Year Zero. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew, and this is the second of our special episodes of the Coriolis Effect, continuing our interview with the guys from Frielagan when we went to Sweden at the beginning of the month. But before we get into that, we've got a couple of announcements to make. We have. When we return to normal service, uh, we'll have been doing the Coriolis Effect for about eight months. But we're also getting close to the end of the year. And we thought this was a good time to ask our listeners what they thought of the podcast so far and what they might like to recommend in terms of developing the podcast as we go into 2018. So I've created a survey and if you haven't already seen links to that survey on social media and replied, if you're listening now, we'd really love you to uh, take a little bit of time to apply to that survey. It's only should only take you about four or five minutes. It's very few questions and it's hopefully really easy to get your voice heard. Yeah, I've already gone and done it and uh, made sure that I, I put down that, that I'm the best uh, games master and clearly that everybody wants to hear more of me i'm sure oh god yeah you're right now you see i didn't actually include uh, there's a question that says <laughs> what would you like to hear less of and i forgot to put the dave option on that one so <laughs> uh, well if that came up a lot i know it'd just be you going over and over and over again to uh click the Dave yes, button. Yes, it would be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we'll 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 call truce on that one. Uh but I will wipe your answers clean so you don't bias the survey. I want to hear <laughs> our listeners here. I don't want to hear what you think That's about true. the program. Likewise. Um now it's a slightly complicated web address to read out, so I'm not going to read it to you now, but do look on the show notes, the uh description that comes with your podcast and you'll see a link there. Follow that link. It'll take you to my university server um, and uh, the surveys there and as I say it's a really simple survey to answer and a great opportunity to tell us what we should be doing in year two even if it's keep it the same as year one <laughs> we'd love to hear from you absolutely um, the other bit of news we've got obviously uh, when we're recording this we are a few days away from a dragon meet and this will go out before Dragon Meet. So we will be there. Both of us will be running games in the morning, games of Coriolis. But we are also we are also going to be setting up in the podcast zone first thing. Uh, and then we'll be found there after lunch when we've finished the games we're going to run. Um, yeah, so if you want to express your opinions, especially if you want to say, yes, we really do want to hear less of Dave, come to the podcast <laughs> zone to tell us that. And uh, I'll be bringing a big pad of paper to write that down. I think there was um, something a little while ago on G Plus from Chris saying that the only way to uh, for us to decide um, who's the best GM is for us to have a fight. So uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm up for that if you are, Matt. <laughs> well, we could do that. I've beaten Andy in a fight. I think I could beat you. <laughs> yeah, that's not really saying much, though, is it? I mean, oh yeah. <laughs> if Andy was really trying, he would kill all of us <laughs> before we've even started. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, come come to uh, I should say hashtag podcast zone yep. at um, uh, Dragon hashtag Meat. Dragon Meet twenty seventeen in London. If you if you're able to come to London, um, as and you said, you, you might want to join one of our games, Coriolis, or see us in the podcast zone. Uh, and thanks to you, Dave, we will be walking around easily recognisable with our brand new 
Coriolis Effect t-shirts. Exactly. So uh, you'll be able to spot us really easily. We're the dashing, good-looking guys in the Coriolis Effect t-shirts, with the exception that my brother... I bro- thought that was your brother who was also coming. <laughs> so my brother might be there. He'll be wearing one as well. But don't mistake him for one of, for me or Matthew. Um, so come, <laughs> come and say hello. Uh, it'd be great to meet as many of you as possible. And as Matthew says, you can tell us what you think to our faces. Please be kind. talking of being kind actually in the next sequence of the interview with Freya Legan they are very kind to the uh, to the Coriolis fan community particularly on G Plus they single out that one for uh, offering them really great feedback because if you remember at the end of their last the last segment of the interview that we played they were complaining that they hardly have any time for role playing anymore, and uh, it's a bit of a challenge, particularly to uh, to play test uh, the games that they're publishing. So let's uh, kick so, off this second episode's worth of interviews with uh, the continuation of that discussion. I was going to say, yeah, why don't we let our listeners listen to what the Free League guys had to say? That's a good idea. That's what we're here for. <laughs> so we should shut up. <laughs> yeah, we should shut up. So let's. You shut up first. No, you shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, we going to play it now? Yes, we are. I playtested your stuff a little yeah. bit. Yeah. 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 You you tend to playtest like uh, the individual sections of rules yeah. or we play like combats and so on. And yeah, then, exactly. Um, yeah. We don't have time to like play a full campaign. Or no, no. We we play just individual okay. rules. Yeah. And then we're kind of dependent on uh, crowdsourcing for playtesting. So. I mean, for Tales from the Loop, I wrote essentially three adventures, I think, during the alpha phase. Yeah. And then I playtested them with three different groups of like the random friends, uh, just to kind of see how the system would evolve yeah. uh, over those adventures. And uh, I remember we did like rules edits uh, after each session, yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah. So it evolved over time. Did you ever find things. a... A rules edit that you you amended after one game, you then wanted to amend back again after another one. Perhaps a lot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe not in Tales of the Loop. Yeah, Tales not so much, actually. No. We did some like editing back and forth, but like yeah. some minor stuff. But We actually had exactly that experience recently. We're doing a, a board a game secret? project. Yeah, it's a secret. I can't yeah. say what it is. But it's <laughs> <laughs> I was reminding you it's a no, secret. But, but, uh, but, uh, Have uh, another drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we uh, we changed some rules based on the first playtesting and the second or this is like third time the game just completely collapsed mm. it was like nothing worked it was like it, it, it was going backwards it was very interesting to see that a few small changes could suddenly just ruin the whole construction yeah so it's so in that case we just went back rewinded the tape and then started doing this but board games are in a way more difficult than role playing games. They have to function out of the box. Yeah. They have to really be solid. Yeah. You don't get so much fan amendment of the rules, do you, I guess, in No, I think that's the good thing I guess with like the fan communities like the the G Plus community for Coriolis. There's yeah. a lot of constructive uh, feedback going on there which is like I mean as a game creator it's like a dream I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean if, if that would be the same as for like board game geek uh, like for board game creators yeah. everyone's like oh well maybe that's wrong but I'm doing it this way I'm printing my own cards yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we love you whatever <laughs> <laughs> but it is cool it's uh, it's uh, very similar to uh, you know it, it, that's community feeling is uh, 
role-playing games are almost unique in having that, I feel. Yeah, feel. It's, it's, like, it's, the, like you really can mod it. Uh, the sandbox. It's a, like, this positive community mm. feeling, I think, is really cool. With my friends, we play a lot of uh, co-op games uh, when it comes to board games. Oh. And with co-op games, since you're playing together, you are kind of... Uh, in that space, yeah. that where you actually can modify it. We're currently running a Massive Darkness campaign from, from first quest to last quest, mm. and uh, we are modding the, <laughs> the quest rules as we go. Yeah, I heard it's been a bit of a... Yeah, it's not that good. No, it's not that good. <laughs> <bit of, yeah. laughs> like the, cool, the, core, the core of the game for yeah. a single mission is cool, yeah. but the, 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 they haven't playtested yeah. the quests no, no. Uh, enough. And you're modding it so you win? No, we're modding. <laughs> no, that was that was the core problem. We were playing like two scenarios, and we were like over, like we leveled up too much. Yeah, it's too, too easy. I it's yeah. too easy. Yeah. Yeah. So we it's kind of we, and that was heartbreaking to some of the players actually, because suddenly like someone's armor had to be thrown away, and they had to scale yeah, down, yeah. level down, and all that. It's like we had a lot of debates uh, around that. But it's like it's gonna be better for all of us. We have twelve missions to play here, twelve quests to play. It's gonna be fine. I want to touch, this is a bit of a diversion, I'm sorry David, but I, I'm intrigued. Obviously, we're not going to ask you about your top secret board game project mm -hmm. directly, <laughs> but we are going to but try and eat some clues yeah. out of you. Um, board games are having a real renaissance, they're in America particularly, they're, they're all about the Euro games, and, mm -hmm. and Asmodee you know, have, have made so much money out of board games that they've bought Fantasy Flight in America, yeah. and yeah. And as Devium in, in, in the UK, and they, they're a really expanding company. Has that has that been the same in Sweden? Because I feel it's a kind of Franco-German thing. That, really the games are big here, but there's no Swedish companies producing. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, the games are. I mean, you saw the science fiction bookstore in yeah. Gamlestown. Yeah. There's a big board gaming section, yeah. Yeah. and people buy the same games. It's a big re renaissance in that way. But there's no big Swedish producers of board games, and that's. But it deep. could be free a league. But what you're saying? No, but seriously, we, the we, secret's we, out we, the bag now. <laughs> I mean, it's no secret that we are we're looking to kind of expand because just not just be dependent um, on role playing games because yeah. it's a very niche hobby. Yes. Um, board games is much much bigger. It's uh, so we're looking to expand into that. I think one of the things that just about everybody. Uh, suffers from and really comes out clearly really clearly from the free Elegan guys is how hard it can be to find time to actually play the game that we love and I guess one of the downsides for Niels Costa Ricard and the others is that by making the game their their business uh, as well as um, you know something they've they've loved they actually get so much less time to play it and I, it was I thought it was really interesting that that they were saying you know, they, they, they get time maybe to playtest elements of the rules, but they don't get to play campaigns or full-blown no. scenarios, which is, uh, it's, it, 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 it's quite, you wouldn't, you know, you'd want to still try and find time to do that. But we all know how difficult it can be to find time in busy lives when we've got jobs to do, we've got you know, families and other, co other commitments. Um, so finding, uh, you know, good ways of managing that can be really difficult. But we yeah we only get up. to play what um, well normally we only get to play maybe once every couple of months at yeah. best and I mean and that's a, a significant increase on how we were maybe four or five years ago when we might play three or four times a year and then we yeah. all said wait hang on let's play more often because 
<laughs> Interestingly like enough, it. I'm you know you're fifty already. I'm approaching fifty, and I started I started doing a calculation of if we play three times a year, how many more games do we have ever in our lives? And it was really oh quite, god, don't have that. It no, was no, quite a shocking and horrible thing. Well, it was good because it opened my eyes to the fact that hang on, this is something that I love doing, and it's a game that I love playing with you, Andy and Tone, um, and we need to make more of it. And one thing that we did last weekend to make more of it was have a weekend away in the depths of Norfolk in a fabulous 16th century uh, old yeoman's farmhouse where we locked ourselves, well, I didn't quite lock ourselves in, but we lit the fire, we played games, we went for walks, we went to the pub, we drank beer and had an and played more games. And we played multiple games and had a fabulous time. And, you know, it was such a good idea for us to do that. Because it's a really good way of chucking in a load of really excellent gaming time with very close friends and family, which is a real delight. Uh, you know, I, I had such a great time. It was yeah. Um, well, I didn't bring any of my family. You, of course, brought your brother because he's one of the friends that we play with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it it was great. So what would, you know, we spent. We arrived on Saturday. Sorry, we arrived Friday. on Friday night. We played. Um, from the moment that Andy joined us, late as usual, um, <laughs> uh, right through until, to well, until you fell asleep. Actually, yeah, I fell asleep GMing pretty At much around table. midnight. But I have been driving up there, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I would I would like to, to to note that for my listeners that the level of GMing quality went up when you fell asleep. I thought it was you know really remarkable. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, uh. No, so uh, well, one of the one of the things I really enjoyed that. So over the course of the weekend, we we played four games. We each ran a scenario. I started off with Coriolis, of course, yep. on on Friday, and that ran through till well, almost till Saturday evening when um, Andy took over with Pendragon, and we played that till about two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and then after a bit of a nap, uh, you kicked <laughs> off the second Simba Room episode, which yep. we've recorded. We might well add that to our Simba Room actual plays. Yeah, we also we... we also recorded the Coriolis game. So uh, Yeah, I'm if... a bit worried by that one. I fear uh, we only used one mic on that one. We did. And I fear I might have knocked it onto the wrong setting at some point. Okay. Uh, so, so we'll have to we'll, we'll have to see we'll how that out whether one comes that's out. Yeah. Uh, broadcastable as it were. And then we finished off with a great game of Legend of the Five Rings we for did. Tony. But what I really liked about that was there was no pressure on having to finish a scenario in time for people to drive home yeah for whatever to go to bed to we just, make their kids tea we just anything. had to we just had to finish the scenarios in time for us to to go to the pub and trough have another scenario uh, and and before everyone fell asleep <laughs> yeah. just, um but then even then it didn't matter so much because we just rolled into bed and then uh, got up the next morning and cracked on from where we'd left off um, yeah, and letting the letting the role playing breathe. Mm. I mean, you know, I think we're we're pretty good at we're pretty free form GMs, all yeah. of us. So you know, the players can take the carefully prepared scenario in whatever direction they want, <laughs> and, and devote as much time as they want to going shopping or whatever. <laughs> and um, uh, well, on that shopping and, point, we're, we're good at letting that, that happen. That... But actually, having the luxury to really let it happen and just see what happened was gorgeous i loved yeah. it i'm gonna do it again yes i think we all are hopefully um but the interesting point about shopping is you're such a stingy gm that when he gave us a bit of money 
in that Coriolis episode, we all thought, whoa, it's, it's, you know, it's bargain time. Let's go and buy stuff because we don't normally get the opportunity in your scenarios. You're not normally that, <laughs> you're not normally that generous, are you, Matt? I think if you recall, we can look at the recording, but I think actually you went shopping before I gave you the money. <laughs> oh, obviously, uh, we're working on credit, obviously. um but um interestingly of course you're not going to get much chance to spend money now are you because towards the end of the scenario i spent all the darkness points (laughs) well we had given you a lot and yeah actually i I failed to spend all the darkness points because i i made the scenario so challenging with my darkness points that you kept praying and and giving me even more back again so i think i've still got about seven left over (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, and you were and you were throwing them out like confetti at the end there, and I was. I um, really got darkness crazy at the end of that. <laughs> I won't. I mean, I think whilst we're still contemplating the possibility of some of it being worthy of of broadcasting, I won't explain the end. Yeah, we can't spoil it, I guess. But um, um, at the next uh, the next episode, episode fourteen, um, if we're not going to be playing that as an actual play, we'll let everyone know what happened. It was a well, yeah. a, a very uh, exciting. Um, and uh, difficult end. So it was a very good scenario, as always. Um, but I think yeah, I guess we people don't want to listen to us talking about our, well, they do want to listen to us talking about our games, but only as you say at the appointed time. So yeah, I agree. Uh, let, let's go. Well, bef- well think- just before we go back to the interview, I want to ask you what your thoughts are on the scoop we heard that <laughs> really Gan are thinking of getting into board games. Well. Um, Firstly, it was it was a bit of a surprise. Actually, I hadn't yeah. I hadn't thought that that might be the direction they were going to take. Uh, excellent, uh, you know, if they bring the same sort of imagination and and quality to board games, then I fully expect that they're going to produce some pretty good stuff. Um, huh. You know, interesting that you know they are keeping their cards very close to their chest at the moment, which is entirely understandable at this point. Don't want to give too much away whilst it's still in the in the generation and the evolution of the games. Um, but really looking forward to seeing what that looks like, and maybe if uh, if we get another invite back, we can go and interview them and talk about that in, uh, another opportunity. And maybe yeah, even, we will maybe say even, maybe even play a prototype if they if they're happy for us to do that. They might let us do that. Yes, they might. You never know. Um, they they were keeping mum about it. We tried hard. We plied them with beer, but they weren't giving us any well, of their secrets away. I'll just correct that. They plied themselves with beer. <laughs> and, they, and they and they plied us with beer. We didn't buy very much beer that evening at all. Oh, you're right, actually. Which yeah. is, again, is, a, is another another element of their generosity for us, you know, towards us on our visit. So they plied themselves with beer, and even then, they kept their kept their secrets to they, themselves. They kept their mouths shut. So yeah. we haven't even got any secrets to tell you if you come and greet us at Dragon Meat. They no, didn't exactly. Tell us anything, even when the mics are off. There are no secrets, unfortunately. Well, but when are, the mics are on, secrets, uh, we... we talked a little bit about how. Well, particularly, we feel we're living in a golden age of gaming. You're absolutely right about the golden age, Matthew, because I think for us, there are, you know, not only is this a golden age of some brilliant, new, original, exciting, fabulous games that we're really enjoying, and we've got too many to play right now, but also it's a golden age, I think for me personally, because I'm role-playing more than ever, I'm spending more of my time thinking about, enjoying, talking about, playing role-playing games and the games that I love. And for me, and I think for us, it's a golden age as well in terms of the amount of time and effort and uh, you know fun we're we're getting out of them. Oh yeah, so we we broached that subject 
but we also uh, went back in time with them. Let's listen to the main part of the interview. For me, I've said this to Dave quite often, this is a golden age of gaming. Because yeah. I really do see this almost breaking out of the niche market. Yeah. And lots of people, lots of young people, I play with a group in a shop, and they're all in their 20s. Mm. And you know, we've got guys in the army and stuff like mm. that who I'd never imagined would have been... Yeah, the, the spirit has shifted. Because yeah. go back 20 years, I wouldn't have said to people at work, oh, I play D&D no, on weekends. No, no. Never ever. No. Now I'm quite happy it's, to talk about it. It's not a big deal anymore. I don't care what they think. It doesn't, doesn't yeah. feel like there is a nerd stigma anymore, right? No. no. It feels it's like almost the opposite. Yeah, exactly. It's almost becoming it's cool. I mean, yeah. I, I know friends, I work a little bit in the music industry as well, I know friends from there that thought RPGs was super nerdy, like 10 years ago. And now they're like, Oh, you're the guy that works with Mutant. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Talking of Mutant. Yeah. Uh, well, Mutant Year Zero, actually. I think you, you mentioned it earlier, Costas. Um, the Zero, the, the Year Zero engine, as it's being referred to now. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that come about? What was the genesis behind that? Because I mean, the, my first experience of it was playing Mutant Year Zero, which I picked up from Orcs Nest. Uh, in just before Christmas in 2014 or 15, mm. had never heard of it before. Total impulse buy. It's now brought me to the point where I'm sat in Stockholm with you guys talking yeah. about all of this yeah. stuff. You know the story, right? Um, no, but Thomas uh, liked writing rules. He's always done that. Well, everybody's done uh, RPGs has written their own system or something like it. But he's uh, he started when he wasn't satisfied with the. I, Think mutant, the old mutant, mm. and did something called version zero, yeah. which was more gritty, down to earth. Was that very different from the original mutant? Yeah, rules then. Yeah, yeah. It's much more indie influence. Yeah. yeah, indie influence, and it had also part of fate, part of uh, Gumshoe, I think. Yeah, in part it, of the first. Yeah, and then he sort of refined it over a year by himself. And then when we had published Fall of Winter, we were discussing: should we, you know, should we give out uh, Mercy of the Icons? module for Creolis or should we do something like else? five years ago it's still yeah. unpublished yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's coming so, yeah. Yeah. it's going to be really good that, isn't it <laughs> we argued a lot and then we decided to do Mutant instead yeah we, well the true story actually we failed to get the license for Dock and Warner which is the biggest right there's two big licenses between Dock and Warner and Mutant we, we actually kind of got the license for Dock and Warner but we backed out because it was a bad deal uh, and then our backup plan was mutant, uh, and that's when Thomas applied his like thoughts from his his like in the game yeah. to mutant. Uh, so it's it's actually it's, it's but he modified it a lot. He mod- a lot, yeah. It was a dice one hundred system in the beginning, and then he went to dice pool, and he, no, he had a dice one hundred version okay. in the early. Mm. I think okay. so. Well, he <laughs> might hit me on he, the he, head. He, he can't, he can't, he's not here. No, he's not no, here. No. <laughs> but in the beginning, we playtested it. In the beginning, it was very, very... I mean, it's, it's deadly as it is. And it, it was, it was you, you really... You can degrade in, because you get... You sort of rot and you, yeah. you lose your uh, skills. And all. Uh, but in the beginning, it was super deadly. So we had like a, a playtest. We playtested for a year, actually. Yeah, and the first playtest we had, uh, we someone was a crusher and like some, hit some guy. And he failed... And he degraded so much that he almost died on the spot. The <laughs> guy, who, the guy uh, hitting, yeah. Yeah. and we're like, I think we need to tweak this. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the, the general principles is, is from. Yeah, and I think he, he got some ideas from something called the urchin. 
Yeah, and uh, there's also a game called what's it called? The Quite uh, Quite Year, something like that. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, and a lot of so those games influence Mutant Year Zero a lot. Yeah, I think one of the things I I loved about getting into Mutant Year Zero was the the trailer video that went out with it, and you had this oh just great video, and you had this character you were following, and then right at the end. He's just shot dead. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, okay, yeah. I love this game yeah. without having played it's, it's, it. It's a way to reinforce how brutal this yeah. game is. Yeah, I just thought that was really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually the second trailer. We had a Swedish trailer as well. You remember that one? With the, yeah, the yeah. Globe Arena? Yeah. yeah. It was much more It's simpler, but it was yeah. uh, pretty nice. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you mention um, the quiet, the quiet Yeah, because I think the thing that we both love about the engine generally but particularly for me Coriolis because I've never played Mutant Year Zero but what we like about it is the is that sort of mix of kind of traditional usual RPG and and the indie narrative innovative yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it's a really nice balance of those yeah. two I things I think that's the spot we try I mean and that's mostly Thomas uh, doing that's the spot we try to hit I mean in Sweden it's called uh, Neo Tub uh, yeah. new traditional gaming it's like yeah. In inspiration from indie games, but with a traditional core. Yeah. So I mean, you can see obvious apocalypse now, apocalypse world in the game as well. I love to spell a napalm in the morning. I do too. But I mean, we try to do it a bit more accessible, and I think that's the the sweet spot we're trying to find. Yeah. So yeah. And easy to start. You should create your character in like 20 minutes or something. Yeah. And then yeah. you evolve in the game. I think one of the things reading I reading lo- your whole book and... Yeah. One of the things I love about the game, Mutant as well as Coriolis, is that the whole character generation forces you to, to define your character in your group as a group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the games we played before, I think it might have been Fate, where again, yeah. you, you're writing down on your card what your key issue was you gave it to the next person you then yeah. said how they oh, work yeah. with you know and it had that kind of feel to it because there's there was certainly a period in in our gaming back in the day quite a while ago now but where every game was a pvp yeah, player yeah, versus yeah, player yeah, thing yeah. and we got rid of those players we did get rid of those players that's true <laughs> they're buried under. <laughs> but i love that the focus being on generating that backstory yeah. and giving you those hooks right at the start, which yeah. I think is really. really you said strong. to me at one point the thing you didn't like about Coriolis was enforcing the character relationships. Oh well, there was some between the crew. Well, like, <laughs> you said you didn't have to go out through role play. You didn't no. like that. This no. is yeah. just yeah. <laughs> You guys have obviously listened to all the podcasts, so you've heard my comment. So I think there was just a thing about being a bit. It felt a bit prescriptive sometimes. Yeah, and. Yeah, we had a long debate about it. Matt necessarily didn't agree. Uh, I think part of it was driven by the fact that our very first game, I only got two experience points. <laughs> and the second game, I got six or seven. So it's all right. So I don't mind it. But I think, uh, I think some of the the one the relationships in Coriolis actually could be a little bit tighter or better written, I think. Yeah. Uh, we're, what? We're, what? Yeah. Well, we, we kind of... I think in general, the ones in Mutant Juicy are more tight. Well, in Coriolis, we had the right idea, but it's a little more, a little bit more loose. Yeah. yeah, I think I think my comment, my my thought was there were some of them that says, for your character, somebody else's character thinks something about yeah, you, yeah. which 
it could have just been that you think that that character yeah, thinks yeah. something about you. I actually kind of agree that it's they, yeah. they, they're not uh, ideal, but I think if you go with that uh, with the principle, you can you can get it to work. Work good. it out, absolutely. But yeah, yeah. I'm not necessarily going by those uh, by word. But actually, uh, side stories we have. I mean, Coriolis was a fate game from the beginning, mm-hmm. and we have a, uh, Costa wrote a whole fate rule set. Yeah, for three years. Yeah, it's <laughs> 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 oh. all in the bin. <laughs> I, I heard the pain. I heard yeah. some of Just pain. publish it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Coriolis actually had. Uh, we had. I think it was this rules. It's like the fourth rules. Or set. fifth. Fifth. Yeah. I think so. We had a two die six plus. Yeah. Uh, Barbarians of Lemuria version. No, yeah. Kind of. No, we had two die six plus uh, skill. And then we had two die six plus Barbarians of Lemuria. Yeah. And then we had dice twenty yeah. system. Yeah. And then we had. Uh, Fate. Three, fate, four, yeah. and then mutant gear yeah. zero. So we, Five. We, we tried a lot of. I mean, Coriolis has been a, was for a lot of years was a problem product within our group because we could never really um, we could never really specify exactly what kind of rules set we wanted to do because the original rules sold out, so we had to do something new. Yeah, that was the problem from the beginning. So when we we have uh, internal arguments yeah. in the firm. And the first was about doing Swan Winter or Mercy of the Icons. Yeah, the campaign. Yeah, the campaign. Yeah. Because the rules were out in the. We, they were already published. Yeah. The old Yanring rules. Thanks. Thank God we did Swan Winter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So it's, it's been a long, long development time yeah. for Coriolis. For good and new. I mean, it's. Yeah. Are you happy with it now? I'm happy with it. I think it's. Uh, I think it has a lot of. Poten- I think it's a great game, but I think it has. Personally, I think I think we have a different views on it internally. But it's uh, it's a bit. Uh, what do you say? Lucy goosey. It's a bit all over the place. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of background. It's a lot of. It's a good sandbox. I think it's probably the, the least focused game we've made. And if we would re- have done it today, yeah, what it would, would we be, have done? We would be different. I think we would have uh, fewer uh, group concepts. I think we we'll probably have, focus it more. Yeah, on, and we would have the the star uh, system generation and stuff in the rule yeah, book yeah. to yeah. make it more yeah, probably because the thing is we were kind of bound by the it's being a lot of uh, lore, a lot of setting. So we uh, we decided we're gonna use all the lore, put it in the game. Yeah. Uh, but having all this lore we expanded makes a lot. it. Yeah, we expanded a lot as well. But uh, having all this lore makes it also a bit of a um, what do you say? Treasure, threshold to get get by. Yeah, I mean, yeah and yeah. I've noticed a few. I mean, I, I love the law. I, yeah. I read it all the way through, which I rarely do yeah. for rule books. Yeah. So, so that's good. That, but I noticed a lot of people were saying this is too much to get my yeah. head around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I wonder if the key to that is that there are there are a lot of factions because that I remember. Uh, when I read it yeah. the first time, yeah. it's like there are a bit too few, I mean, too many. There is so yeah. many factions, yeah. right? And then a lot of kind of the descriptions are uh, about kind of how they interact and what's kind of going on yeah. between them and all of that. And suddenly you get this Game of Thrones kind of yeah. thing where there is a lot of intrigue and yeah. stuff going on, right? But if you start cutting away, and I notice in your pod that you've kind of focused on a few factions, yeah. and you talk about those specifically, and yeah. for me it's been the same. Yeah, you know? I think you have to do it. Yeah, yeah so I was going to say that I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a, a weakness of the game at all. No, it, it gives a GM the the scope to choose the bits that they really yeah. fancy. Yeah. If you can, can dig into it. Yeah. If you can yeah. sort through it, right? Yeah. If, if you've yeah. kind of had the time to kind of go through and choose... 
I think that's the key here, right? You, I, I, I really like the lore. I, I love the, all of the stuff that's in there. I think there's a lot of kind of ideas just popping into your head when you read it. But you then, at some point, as a GM, you have to kind of figure out what's my Coriolis, right? Yeah. yeah. What yeah. part of this will I use? Yeah. So, what I thought was particularly interesting is their coining of a phrase, which I really like. <laughs> Uh, on the on the bulletin boards and on the internet, we hear a lot about old school gaming. But what they the way they described Coriolis and the other uh, Year Zero engine games is neo trad or neo traditional, yeah. and I really like that because they are really trying to merge all the all the best bits of the games we enjoyed, but with a with a modern sense of simplicity to the gameplay. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing I really love about it, and and it's not unique to the pre-Elegan games, but they do do it very well, is uh, the way the game is designed forces you to build groups, uh, you know, together with uh, some original, um, some initial links and backstory, and that the whole collaborative character generation side of it is is a real plus. There's a real bonus to it. I think one of the few other games that does it, perhaps. You know, as well, um, or perhaps even better than that, is Fate, where mm-hmm. where I've only ever run the one, or only ever played the one campaign of Fate, and uh, that's the one that we still haven't finished. Um, yeah, we ran out of time at the weekend. To we that. did, but in that, the whole idea that you 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 are writing elements of the other person's character and how you know them uh, on that person's kind of character record is a real really good, and it kind of goes a bit further into that collaborative narrative storytelling uh, genre of game, because then, you know, you as a player then have to work with what another player has said for you. But that works really well. But I think perhaps more, slightly more mainstream neo-traditional, the way Coriolis, for example, and Mutant Year Zero and the, the game, you know, the Year Zero games, the way that they help you build up your background, help you build your ship or your arc, um, uh, in Forbidden Lands, your stronghold, as it will be. I love that. It's great because you know there's too many times in the past where, uh, you know, I think player versus player can be a lot of fun, but actually, if you do it too much, it becomes a bit of a strain and a bit of a bore sometimes. And I love the way they've done it in yeah. Uh, the free and, uh, I, I think you're right. I think player can player versus player can be great if that's what everybody wants to do, but. Yeah, I think some of the frustrations we experienced as young gamers is where one or more of us, or two or more of us, I should say, shared a concept of where the game was going to go. A third person brought the character that they'd invented at home uh, to the table, and that was an entirely different character. And either the first two would have to change their stories to to fit in with the new character, or very often the new character was off doing their own thing, and, and we were never really getting... Uh, the team gelling together as we might have hoped now, I think a lot of that is actually or a, a lot of the improvement in the Coriolis games is due to the um, the Neo bit uh, is yeah. making character generation actually really simple mm. so and once, fun. You know, back and, in the and day fun. it's not a chore you know, some yeah, games, exactly. some games sure. are so um, long-winded, it becomes a pain in the ass to roll up a new character, particularly once you've rolled up a lot or you've played it for a yeah. long time. 
um, Robin Laws calls it homework, and I, I kind yeah. of, I, I, I feel that it's, it takes on the feeling of homework as opposed to a fun bit of creation. Whereas I tell you, there's an interesting thing I'm thinking about for Saturday's game at Dragon Meat, actually, which is obviously it's quite good fun to for a team to get together and to generate their relationships. But that that's what takes the time in Coriolis now. Yeah. Creating the character is really quick. So I thought what I might do is give people a card with their names and their relationships to the other characters, but actually give them an opportunity to create their own character just to show how quick it can be. Um, yeah, I'm, I think my my only concern with doing that at something like Dragon Meat is you've got so little time. And if if you've got players who want to play the game who are brand new, know nothing about it, you might find it takes longer than you think. So you yeah, might... I think I've worked out a plan to do it. So yeah. I'll, okay, cool. what, I, what I'll do is I won't be select, I won't be given the opportunity to select their talents because that's yeah. that's the bit that takes the reading and the thinking about. Yeah, as well as the discussion between the thing. But I thought it might be fun just to say, okay, here are the things. There aren't any stats. This is how you choose your stats. Choose what you want. That's um, not a bad idea. So that you know they they they've got a character that they've at least partially built. The setup. Uh, their relationships with each other, which which I'm hoping will make you know they will be actually a slightly PvP game, but also they'll be set up as a team already. Um, I'll do that because you know we, we haven't got time to organise all of that. But no. I thought they could just we could show them just how simple, the, if you like, the homework bit of the character creation is, um, and hopefully encourage people that haven't tried the game to give it a go once I've seen how easy it is to roll up characters. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Good luck. I hope it goes well. I think I am going to yeah. kind of stick... Now, that wasn't supposed to stick be sarcastic. To that wasn't supposed Go to be ahead. sarcastic it in could, the slightest. It could, I could um, crash and burn. I, I don't and, think uh, you will. I think you're, you're absolutely right. And you'll probably get people who, uh, you know, aren't aren't entirely unfamiliar with, with a free Oligan game. You, well, we might get some, mm. but uh, you're likely to get an experienced role player, or at least really reasonably experienced role player, anyway, because somebody who comes to one of these things to play, it's probably someone who's got a bit of role playing time under their belt. So yeah, go for it. Why not? If it doesn't work, don't do it next time. But um, no, I'll have learnt my lesson next time. <laughs> but given that I've still got to write the rest of the scenario, well, so have um, I. <laughs> actually, as much time that's taken up by character character creation, the better. <laughs> I can write a really short scenario. It could, be, well, it could be a character generation kind of seminar or or uh, you know exercise. But uh, no. Uh, no, but I'm... listeners, if you're planning on coming to London and you're planning on joining the game, it really is a good scenario, even if I haven't quite finished it yet. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Never, never knowingly overprepared. That's us. Uh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. um, but yes, I think where are we f- now? I guess we should be uh, listening to the third and final well, part of the. Uh, well, I think there was one uh, more thing that uh, was really interesting coming out of that last segment of the interview that we listened to which was uh, the fact that they tried uh, to run Coriolis in other ways so they tried using fate rules to run Coriolis mm-hmm. and uh, it'll be interesting you know uh, you know fate better than I do but I've played it a little bit um, how do you think the fate rules might have worked for, for a game like Coriolis well it's interesting you know you asked them in that bit of the interview we've just heard about how happy are they with what they've produced and they did talk about things they do differently now yeah one of the things being that they thought it was actually a little bit um background fluff heavy 
and then you know they 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 put in all the fluff that they'd enjoyed from the game um and maybe what they do they'd package it up differently they'd make it a bit more focused maybe do what they did with the year zero in in terms of creating if you like a a different version of the game for each of the different aspects mm. and it made me think that actually a fate version because fate is um you know the, the mechanics all exist already that would have been almost a book of fluff <laughs> uh and particularly because you know because fate mechanics are actually really quite mechanics light arguably some people think fate's a very crunchy game but uh the principles of fate can be described in a few pages even though the fate rule book's about uh 200 um <laughs> You know, I'm not sure how, you know what they could do mechanically. They might have done something interesting with a prayer mechanic there, uh, but I think it would have been all fluff and very little mechanics. And and really, what sold me on Coriolis after you persuaded me to to buy into it at the Kickstarter was the interesting mechanics. So I'm pleased that we didn't lose the Year Zero mechanics that 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 Coriolis introduced uh, to me. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was interesting that. Following on from that, once they'd uh, got the you know the Year Zero engine up and running, um, they felt that they wanted to use different mechanics for each game, but ultimately ended up falling back on the Year Zero engine, uh, presumably because it's you know it, it it works so well. Yeah, um, which is what they talk about in the next part of the interview. Well, you asked how far they could take it and uh should we listen to their answers yeah let's do that one thing i wanted to ask guys about the the, the year zero engine is is there's quite a lot of games now that are are based on that engine and there's a couple in the in the pipelines you've got mechatron you've got forbidden lands coming through you've got plans for some other games uh tales from the flood uh, things from the flood, yeah. Things from the flood, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, a 1970s spy game. I, my, I think my question is, how far do you think you can take the engine? So there's a lot of games there now running on on that engine. How far can it go? Do you think before it needs revamping? I, I can't say we do have the answer really. No, no. It, there's been a recent discussion about yeah. just the, the thing about using one engine and. Continuing using that. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's a great engine. I mean, in the beginning, I, we, we, I mean, we started out completely different. We started out uh, our philosophy in the beginning was every game should have its own engine. Mm. That, was, that was the uh, that yeah. was the. We actually switched this when we decided that Coriolis should use the Mutant Gear Series engine. Before that, every game had a separate engine. Yeah. And then when we did that and noticed that people were like, oh yes, finally, I know the rules. I can, and we're like, oh, maybe it's a good thing. But there, there, there's tweaks. There are the prayer mechanism yeah, is not yeah, the same yeah. as the push mechanism. The ones are not used. And yeah. in Tails it's different too. Yeah, yeah. they're all kind of uh, adjusted. It's not taken as it is and pushed no, into each no, game, no. right? It's, it's, but I mean, in the beginning we changed everything. We had different yeah. core mechanisms. Yeah, it so it wasn't dice pools. It was like, oh. but I mean, I noticed that with my players, that it's really cool to just transition from one game to the next, and you kind of go like, yeah, okay, so this is the you know the push mechanic yeah. in this game, mm-hmm. and these are the things that you get bonuses from or you know whatever uh, in this game, but they they relate to it really quickly. Yeah, I think for me, I, the the big difference. So the two games that I've played, Mutant Year Zero and, and Coriolis, the big difference is you don't have the mutation point. 
feral point, um, I guess some kind of magic element for Forbidden Lands point that drives quite a lot of stuff in the games where you've got them. Yeah. And it's actually a very important part of the mechanic. You don't have that in Coriolis in the same you know. No, that's true. Um, I guess I guess the question I'm asking is Is there enough difference or how do you see making the difference between games like Forbidden Lands, say, where you'd have a magic uh, point driver and the mutant point driver in Mutant New Zero? Is there a Yeah yeah I see it's it's I mean it's difficult because First of all, uh, the lance is still in development, so we, yes, we're not. I mean, it's done. But uh, I think if you, I think of our games. I think probably Mutant Year series the most tight uh, rules-wise of our yeah. games. Coriolis is a bit more maybe flexible, and what well, we removed from Coriolis is the whole degradation mechanic. Yeah, yeah. you don't, you don't yeah. get worse. I mean, you have no. the hit points instead. You don't have mutation points, which no. are sort of plot points. Yeah. yeah, that's how we've used them. Yeah, you know, you get in the in the final part of the Eden, yeah, and huge. I used like yeah. ten mutant points to just crush this uh, game mastering and won the game. Yeah, I mean, the, the big baddie. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but then you do run the risk yeah. as a player of dying instantly, though, don't you? If you're using yeah. a lot yeah. of mutant yeah. points, yeah, it's almost like a superhero power. I mean, yeah. but but it's um, the question is how how should we go forward? Well, it's, I think Forbidden Lands, for example, is going looking more towards Mutant Year Zero. Yeah, yeah, mm. uh, and it's more like that. It's more about exploring it's survival. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, and, and also the dangers of just you know you have to destroy camp, you have to get food, you have to find uh, foraging, and so. On. Um, and, and we've added the polydice. Yeah, the polydice. That's a, a big new thing. Is yeah. we, because I mean retro fancy gaming, at least in Sweden, and for us, it's like you want to have the polydice. Uh, the D6s are nice because, as it's a core mechanic because it's simple, but um, being being able to add nice polydice for some powerful stuff is is a thing we, we like to tweak. Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked about it before we turned on the microphone. Uh, I mean, role-playing games, for me at least, and it's a lot about tactile I mean, experience, yeah. I mean, physical experience at uh, the table. And having, I mean, polydice is, I mean, they bring a certain feel. To the mm. game table, and just being able to have this. I mean, I personally I love those uh, what is it, uh, translucent dice, yeah, that were Same like jewels almost, yeah, uh, and they're very, very like edgy. This, this old, um, edgy, what do you say? They're not rounded, yeah, and those kind of dice for me instantly brings like this old school feeling, yeah, and that's, I mean, that, that's a thing you should, I think, as a game designer. Think about. I mean, yeah. if you can bring that stuff, why not do it? Yeah. If it's good. Historically, we had like in the old Drakkar Demoner here in Sweden. Uh, I seem to remember you actually got like different colors in yeah. this box, yeah. and yeah. it was just random colors. So everyone's like, "Oh, you have a blue D four. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's like yeah. mine, mine is red." Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, now, I'm yeah. going to ask this about Drakkar uh, Demoner. Sorry, this is another diversion. I always understood that the first edition of Drakkar and Demoner wasn't so much. Uh, D&D but RuneQuest was. it's a, a ma magic world magic yeah, world which is an offshoot of what, it's actually a magic world it's, it's a translation it's, it's not even Swedish it's, no. it's a direct translation of Chaosium's uh, magic world right uh, uh, so that's a D100 yeah, yeah, it's BRP. Yeah. And that's because all the games in Sweden, I mean, our base is BRP. Yeah. Basically, right. yeah. Yeah. And that's always been that. So D&D &D has been 
a much much lesser influence. So basic role playing is like the base system. D and D came in like a lot later, right? Yeah. And yeah. now it's actually kind of uh, yeah. has a lot of ground. No, it's it's much yeah. bigger now. But I mean, in, in the I mean, BRP is so much. So uh, we have actually kind of struggled with it in the beginning when we introduced our year zero engine. A lot of uh, because we we introduced that in Mutant. So Mutant was one of these basic role playing games, yeah. mm. uh, and the old fans they were like, "Oh, I will never play Mutant no. without uh, D." What's the percentage of yeah. the success? <laughs> and it's like we had a huge problem. We actually had to develop a, a, a hack, a BRP hack, and put it into the Swedish edition, which is now uh, because we wanted to. We were so afraid that people wouldn't play our system. This, this is all in the past now because now it's changed. But in the beginning, people were very hostile. Yeah. Yeah. Did, think, did anyone use it though? Did anyone I don't think really anyone actually has BRP. used our BRP hack, no. to be honest. No. So I thought that was hilarious that they had to create a BRP version. Uh, and I wonder what a BRP version of Coriolis might have been like. I guess it would have been uh, more like Call of Cthulhu than than um, than RuneQuest. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it strikes me that one of the great, really great things about Coriolis and Mutant Year Zero is the fact that you have so few skill stats to cover such a wide range of stuff. And if you've got a... You know, a, a percentile based system that kind of encourages you to have more skills uh, yeah and actually having so brp might have expanded the skill list and i think one of the great things about coriolis is its skill list is set at i don't know how many is it is it 18 yeah. or something or you know 16 and no more and that's really good so i mean i love cthulhu you know i'm a long-standing cthulhu gm and player over the years uh but you end up with a, a list of skills as long as your arm, which is fine. But I like I like the simplicity of a game that moves away from that BRP approach and does something a bit neo traditional. If we're going to start yeah. using start using that phrase now, we've mentioned it. <laughs> and uh, talking of the other changes they made, of course, I'm really interested in uh, what they've got planned for, as they call them, the poly dice, the polyhedral dice yes. uh, that they're going to add into. Um, forgotten lands, uh, forbidden lands. So, I'm going to be fascinated by by what they produce in terms of mechanics for using those dice. It will be interesting to see how they how they how they integrate that into the into the uh, Year Zero engine. Yeah. Um, and then and then we can use it in the in uh, the uh, open gaming license. Hopefully, that they yes. will produce. Yeah, absolutely. But we'll talk more about, or we'll get uh, Freely Gan to talk more about the open gaming license in our next, next episode. episode. Yeah, which will probably feature the last extracts from the interview um, that we that we haven't played yet. We've got a, about an hour recorded still that um, we've not heard anything from yet. So I'm sure there's some juicy nuggets in that. Uh, bit of the interview and we'll be sharing them in our next episode and that'll probably boil down into one episode once we've had a look at it and taken out the uh you know the, the unnecessary bits where where you're talking yeah <laughs> well I've, I've taken out quite a lot of the unnecessary bits uh where you were talking i know in what we've just heard so yeah. it's only yeah. fair um well, i've kept now, those as a special dave's talks to the free league and guys real so uh you know i'll i'll do a under the counter version of that one day 
Okay, we'll <laughs> release that uh, as a as a special bonus edition. At and that might point. be, or is is that a bonus really edition or boring. is it a punishment edition? I can't, I can't remember. <laughs> One or the other. Um, right now, though, I guess we should close. I, uh, I just so. want to remind everybody who wasn't listening at the beginning of this podcast about the survey that we've put online. We'd love to hear your opinions of Coriolis of the Coriolis effect and how we should be developing the podcast in 2018 and of course those of you who are coming to london to dragon meet this weekend uh do come and seek us out join us for a game if there's seats available in the morning we're both running at the same time yeah so there's two coriolis games in the morning and then in the afternoon we'll be at the podcast zone or indeed wandering around the stalls but you'll uh see us by our coriolis effect t-shirts come and join us yeah we look forward to meeting you all there and we should have a fabulous and, and fun day. Um, but I think that's it from us for now. So it's uh, goodbye from Matthew. And it's goodbye from Dave. And may the icons bless your southern rail trip to Dragon Meat. been listening to The Coriolis Effect, presented by Fiction Suit with the RPG Gods, with music by Stars on a Black Sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. Imagery from NASA and the Hubble Space Telescope, brought to you by Wikimedia Commons. Typeface is code by Font Fabric. <laughs>